0: All right, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you... Is this on? I don't even know if it's on. Okay. No, I didn't turn it on. Oh, you didn't? So it's, it's possible I'm just... I did know I'm getting this You're getting a in? Okay, I may have turned it on and not realized it. So, um, all right, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Exodus chapter 3. So what we're going to be doing for the foreseeable future is... Um, We're going to be going through. We're going to be using the lectionary to kind of guide what we talk about every week. I for for the longest time, my my default setting in terms of like how I plan sermons and uh, how I kind of project out what we're going to talk about is I tend to come up with a series idea and we'll you know do that and you know and basically we'll just do like series of of sermons. I mean, you've been here, you know how how that works. Um, But what I found. in, in sort of the, the post-mid, like I don't know exactly how to describe where we are in, in, in the process of like getting through the COVID pandemic, but um, is I, it's, it's really, really difficult to know what is gonna need to be talked about on any given week. It's, it's, it's one of those, like I did the, the Who We Are Instead series because that was a really personal series. Like that, that was something I could have done pretty much at any point and it would have been um, true and, and uh, I, I feel useful for the time. But outside of that, I've been I've been really racking my brain for weeks now, months really, trying to figure out like what do we talk about? Like how do we like in the middle of, of all of this, where do we go? Like how do how do we like what 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 next series of things do we need to talk about? And I keep kind of brushing up against like it's it's impossible to know because the, the things keep changing. Like we like the vaccine the vaccine rolled out and everybody sort of felt like okay we're we're kind of nearing the end of this. We came back. Um, and then all of a sudden, because of the variant, the, the numbers started to go up, people started getting really nervous. I mean, like I said, just yesterday, I heard from three different people who, I mean, which for, at our church is a majority, <laughs> you know? Like, and so like I, I heard from enough people to where it was like, oh, this is this is like a, a real, like, concern that we need to address. Um, and, and so like every Saturday, it becomes sort of like a, um, how's how it gonna be tomorrow? And like, how, wh- what is the mood in the room? Are we, are, we, are we feeling more optimistic about things? Are we feeling more afraid? Um, and so I, uh, I, I didn't really know what to do next. And so it, it feel, so thankfully, there's this thing called the lectionary, which is is this guide that lots of churches all over the world use to basically say here's some things that um, pastors all over the world are going to be talking about. So feel free to join us in that conversation. So what we're going to do for the time being. Um, E- either for the rest of the year or at least until I can come up with something else, um, is we're going to be allowing the lectionary to sort of guide where we go. Because I lack, personally, I lack the wisdom and the foresight adequate to plan a sermon series right now. I just, I, I don't, um, I, I don't have it in me to to know what what will need to be talked about two months from now, which is what it takes to, to plan a sermon series. So we're going to let the lectionary sort of carry us for a little while because at the very least, it will, it, it will, align us with lots of other groups and lots of other denominations and lots of other churches who are also quite frankly in the same situation asking what do we talk about so the lectionary is a good sort of place to go so today's lectionary passage comes from the book of john chapter six but the thing about john chapter six is you can't understand john six without understanding the, books, uh, the the structure of the book of Exodus. So, uh, so we're going look- to start in Exodus chapter 3, but we have to start in Exodus 3 in order to understand John 6, if that makes any sort of, sort of sense. So we're going to be kind of all over the place. There's a lot of ground to cover. Um, this is my outline. Uh, it should be at the top of your bulletin also, if, uh, if, you're, uh, if you have one of those. Um, so th- this is the basic outline of where where we're, we're going to go. So we're going to really quickly kind of blow through the, the entire book of Exodus, no problem. And then and then once we're once we're done with the book of Exodus, then we'll get to what we're actually supposed to talk about, which is John chapter six. So uh, we need to get going because it's I, I, that was a long in, um, that, was, that was a long bit of preamble in order to get to just being able to start. So anyway, so in a- Exodus chapter 3, um, beginning in verse 11, um, what, what you have, actually before we get going, what, what we have, the, sit, the setup here is you have the Hebrew people who have been enslaved in the nation of Egypt. And as part of their enslavement, they've, they've, been, in, they've been enslaved for hundreds of years at this point, and at this point in the story... God has spoken to this man named Moses and is saying to Moses, you, it is your job now to go and free your people, the Hebrew people, from enslavement. So in Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Pharaoh is just the king of the Egyptians. That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, we, I will be with you. And this, is the, and this will be the sign to you that, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And then there's this answer, which seems very cryptic. And in, in verse 14, it says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you, which again, sounds really cryptic, but this response has a lot of power to it there is an, basically the answer here is this way of saying there is an ever-sustaining force in the cosmos, that all of reality is bound together by this force, th- by this this present tense verb that God describes God's self to be. And so the conscious force behind all of reality is, ca- is calling Moses to free this group of people out of slavery. So this I am response here has a lot of weight to it. It is, in fact, um, if, if you ever, there, there's this, um, uh, okay, in, in if, you're, if you're ever reading through the Old Testament and you see the word Lord and it's in all capital letters, L-O-R-D, but it's all like, it's like capital L and then smaller capital O-R-D, what that's telling you is that's actually a very specific name for God. It's uh, the Hebrew letters yod heh vah and, that, the, and w- which we often will translate as Yahweh. This is a present tense verb. And so it, it is, it's the same as where it says I am. So I, it is a present tense personal verb. So I am is saying go and set this group of people free. There's this, again, there is this present tense ever-sustaining force in the cosmos that holds all things together that is saying now it's your job to go and set this group of people free. I am has sent you to set, the group, to set slaves free. So because of this call, Moses goes back to Egypt and begins a long campaign to free his people from slavery. And so just before the people are set to leave Egypt and, and gain their freedom, God gives them a very specific instruction for a sacred meal and their final meal before leaving enslavement. And then, then after the instructions uh, for the meal are given, God says this to the people. So go to Exodus chapter 12. So in Exodus 12, beginning in verse 10, it says... Um, <clears throat> says, do not leave any, uh, speaking of the food, do not leave any of the food until morning. Some of it is, uh, if some of it is left till mor- morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So um, this meal now, like thousands and thousands of years later, this meal is now referred to as the Passover. And th- th- this is, again, it's the final meal before this group of people is supposed to leave Um, their enslavement forever. So you have this Passover meal being given, and then uh, immediately after the Passover meal, this group of people leaves. So they're they're being allowed to leave by the king, but at a certain point, the king, the pharaoh, decides, actually, I'd prefer... (laughs) my entire like labor force to not leave. And so Pharaoh sends his, uh, his army to bring them back. So they're, they're gone. They've left this group. After they've eaten the Passover meal, they've left. And so now the Pharaoh says, on second thought, I'd like them to come back. So he sends his army to go and retrieve the slaves. So they're cornered. This group of people who are recently freed slaves are cornered now. And they, um, and they're rescued when God, par- and if you're familiar at all with like the cartoon versions of this story, I mean the, the story's been told thousands and thousands of times. But, um, so so if you're familiar at all with the story, you know that the, the, the people are cornered at, at the edge of what was uh, the Red Sea, the Reed Sea, whichever you want to call it. Um, and so they're cornered and God parts the waters of the Red Sea so that the people can cross to the other side. and. Uh, and then, of course, after the, red, after the people cross, the waters go back and much of the Egyptian army is drowned. So the Red Sea, the sea, becomes symbolic. The symbolic reminder of God's protection of the people. The Red Sea becomes, again, in, in the parlance of the people, becomes this symbolic reminder that God is here to protect you, that, that there, is, there is a protector that is larger, th- this, this sustaining force in the cosmos that is larger than, than the forces of nature. So, in fact, Moses and his sister Miriam r- in, end up writing a song about the whole experience. So in Exodus chapter 15, uh, beginning in verse 1, it says, The whole Israelite community set out for Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between— I'm oh, sorry, I'm, I'm in the wrong chapter. So then in verse—I'm fi- sorry, chapter 15, not chapter 16. Then Moses and the Israelites sang a song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver, he is hurled into the sea." The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has come, he has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And again, you notice it shows the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So this is Yodhe Vahe. I am is his name. Um and Pharaoh's chariots and his army has, he is hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep, which is a weird thing to write a song about, but here we are. It says, the deep waters have, have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. So, so we have, again, this celebration that the sea has parted. This group of people has been redeemed. And the sea is this reminder that... Th- this group of people, in their lowest, most terrified moment, were, re- were rescued. So in the next chapter, in, in chapter 16, which we will now go to, the people become acutely aware that they are in a place where the food supply is different. Yeah, when we were slaves, things were bad, but at least we had a steady supply of food. And we talked about this a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago, about how like, there was this like, deep anxiety among the people that, what are we like, yeah, we're not slaves anymore, but what if we starve to death? So they're afraid that they're going to starve. And so what ends up happening is God provides a bread-like substance called manna that kept the people alive for the next four decades. So in Exodus chapter 16, verse 35, it says, um, The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. So we have the outline of the story is we have a god who says i'm here to redeem or rescue my people from enslavement and this god refers to god's self as i am then there's a meal which 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 is often to this day referred to as the passover meal there's an event that happens at a sea in which people who think that they're going to die or be recaptured are re- are rescued and then when things look like we're going to start to death there is manna that is that is produced that sustains the people for 40 years so this this story by the way is the most important story in the Jewish faith this was the faith that Jesus was part of it's the faith that the, the writer John and his readers were part of as well so when you're reading any of the gospel stories Matthew Mark Luke and John one of the things we have to keep in mind is these are Jewish writers writing to Jewish readers and one of the most important stories if not the most important story in Jewish consciousness is the, is the story of the Exodus so for thousands of years whenever Hebrew people struggle or face violence or oppression and, vo- and voices would rise up and say a, or a voice would rise up and say wait don't lose heart we've been here before we've been in this situation before and the evil forces of this world do not have the final word the darkness the struggle the fear the pain the 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 grief that comes along with all of these things, that doesn't actually have the final word. There is something larger at work that does have the final word. So this, the Exodus story, is a story that reminds people that the struggle and the adversity are often a prelude to liberation and freedom and new discovery. So throughout the Hebrew scriptures, people are, are told to remember this story. So often people, like the, in, in the scriptures, you will, you will hear the words of God who say who says, or that say, don't forget remember in fact the one of the most one of the most recurring if not the most recurring commandment in the entire old testament is the command to remember remember this story remember where you were in your darkest moments and remember that that dark moment did not have the final word don't lose heart this is a constant refrain throughout the hebrew scriptures okay so that was the intro so now let's go to the book of john chapter six so in john chapter six So in in order to understand John chapter 6, we have to understand the trajectory of this story. Because one of the things that John, or again, all the gospel writers are doing quite often, is echoing these ancient stories and trying to remind us that Jesus is part of a larger story. So in John chapter 6, which is where we are now, and if you have a bulletin, you'll, uh, and when I say a bulletin, I just mean a piece of paper that has all the passages on it. But, um, If you have one of our bulletins, then you'll be able to see that all, all, the, all these passages. So, uh, so in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. <clears throat> so the section begins by pointing out that what, whatever is about to happen happens on once like near a sea sometime near the passover right so already we're getting these sort of verbal cues that something is happening here that's going to echo something that's happened before so so the section begins by john pointing out that whatever is about to happen will happen near the beginning of passover so then in verse 5 it says when jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him he saw the he he said to philip who's one of his his followers he says where shall we buy bread for these people to eat uh he he asked he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And then, if you jump down to verse ten, it says Jesus said, "Have the people sit down." There was plenty of grass in the place, and they sat down. About five thousand men were there. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed uh, to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had had all, all um, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, "Gather the pieces that are left over; leave nothing to waste." So it's near the beginning of Passover if we're connecting dots here, it's near the beginning of Passover and Jesus invites thousands of people to participate in a meal. So all of a sudden, again, John's readers all instantly would be connecting these dots. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We're at the beginning of Passover. And the first thing that John tells us right after he tells us that the Passover is near is that Jesus sits thousands of people down and invites them all to participate in a shared meal together. So then in verse fourteen. then, yeah, in verse 14, it says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, the sign being like the, the multiplication of the food, um, so, or the, the production of the food. So then it says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come in, into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew to, again to a mountain by himself. Then in verse 16, it says, when evening came, and, and it's easier, uh, one of the things that happens often is when we're reading this we we break it into sections because it's broken into sections in the English translation but in the original text the, the sections were not there the section breaks were not there this was one continuous text the section breaks are there for our benefit it's, they're not there because that's just the way uh, be, because it was originally written that way so in verse 16 it says so this follows right on the heels of the story of Jesus feeding this group of people at the beginning of Passover so it says when evening came his disciples went down to the lake where they got into the boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, which already is like, that's a whole other conversation. Um, and, And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So, as soon as the, uh, as the meal, which happens near Passover, happens, the followers of Jesus, what do they do? They cross a sea. And, but in crossing the sea, the waters grow rough. And from within the storm, Jesus appears and tells the followers to not be afraid. Because in, it, in the words of the translation that we're using, Jesus says, it is I. Here's the thing about this sentence. When, so it, it, Jesus says, do not be afraid. It is I. Here's the thing about this sentence. Most English translations have this as, it is I, or it is me, or some, some variation on this. But in the original Greek, the sentence is two words, not three. The sentence is, ego, a me. This literally translates to, I am. So Jesus says, in the middle of crossing a sea, t- near the beginning of Passover, right after a meal, Jesus is cro- the, uh, the disciples are crossing a sea, there's fear. Jesus appears and says, don't be afraid because I am. All, like, if, if you're John's original readers, like, all the bells are ringing. Like, th- this, is, this is signaling all sorts of big, big ideas. So, and then in verse um, 25, it says, again, note, if, if you're looking at this, where there are breaks, originally there were no breaks. So if you jump down to verse 25, it says, when they found him, the, the, the large group of people, when the large group of people found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Which is hilarious, because the reason they went to the other side of the lake um, is because they're stalking Jesus, basically. There's this group of people who, now that, now that Jesus has fed them, they're like, okay, this guy is a big deal. We need to be as close to what he's doing as possible. And Jesus and his followers cross the lake, and they get to the other side of the lake, and this massive group of people know that that's where Jesus is going. And, they, and Jesus gets there, and they're waiting for him. And they're like, whoa, hey, this is weird. When did you get here? Like, we had no idea. We were just all going to the same place by random accident. Like there's, So they're, it, it, So that's a <laughs> – I, I love that. Rabbi, when did you get here? Um, as if they weren't – they weren't just, like, totally stalking him. And then in uh, verse 28, it says, then they asked him, what must we do to, uh, I'm sorry, what must we do to do the work that God requires? And then in verse 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. So, um, and then it says, so they asked him, what sign then will you give? Um, sorry, I keep losing my place. What sign then will you give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Which is funny because like he's just fed this group of people near Passover and he's just like walked on the sea. And it says, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you true bread from heaven. For this bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So is this ringing any bells? At the end of the whole thing. So we have Jesus near the beginning of Passover feeding this group of people a meal after that's over they cross a sea and at which point Jesus says don't be afraid because I am and then that is immediately followed by a conversation about Moses and manna so at the end of the whole thing, Jesus and the people end up in a long conversation about the work of God and Moses and manna. The entire sixth chapter of John. If you're reading the entire sixth chapter of John and you've grown up in a Jewish society in which this story is told and retold and retold and retold over and over and over again, and you come across the book of John and you begin reading this story, all like again, all the lights on the dashboard are blinking because what, what, what you're thinking is, oh, this story isn't just this story. This story is about a whole other story that happened thousands of years ago. The entire sixth chapter of John is meant to serve as a reminder of the Exodus story and a way of connecting Jesus to that story. This is a way of saying, yeah, you remember that story about how we were all disheartened and things were at their darkest and we didn't know where we were going to go and we didn't know who we were and we didn't know if we were ever going to be free of this enslavement? Yeah, that story still matters because Jesus is part of that story. By the way, the people who first read John's book about ten or fifteen years after what was uh, okay. Let me, let me back up. So, um, in about the year seventy, in uh, in the city of Jerusalem, the Roman imp- there there were there were several like rebellions in uh, in and around the city of Jerusalem because Rome had had conquered and the people in Israel did not love that Rome had conquered their territory, and so every once in a while there would be a rebellion, and sometimes depending on who was in charge. The who the person in charge of Rome, uh, the emperor, would decide like how harshly to deal with the rebels. And so, in the year 70, the Roman emperor basically decided like, look, we can't keep having these rebellions. We need to crush them once and for all. And so, what they do is the the emperor sends his son, uh, the Roman general Titus, into the city of Jerusalem, and he says, go in and decimate the city and make sure you destroy the temple. Because the temple is the thing that reminds them that God is on their side. And so what you need to do is remind them that God is not on their side, that their God has abandoned them. And so, what, um, and so what Titus does is he goes in, he slaughters hundreds of thousands of people. And as part of that, he completely decimates the temple. And the order he gives to his men is don't leave one stone stacked on top of another in the temple. So this happens and like the and the people are and it works the people are completely disheartened people are scattered all throughout the um the the known world at this point because everybody's terrified that there's going to be another um, massacre and so it, it works so rome has completely crushed the spirits of this group of people and so the book of john is written about 10 or 15 years after the destruction of the temple in jerusalem And so the readers of of John would have felt utterly disconnected from their roots because the temple's been destroyed. And so John goes out of his way in this story to tell a story about Jesus that calls back to their most sacred story and says, look, we're still here. Yeah, the temple's been destroyed. Yes, it it does look like Rome has had the last word. But the thing is, the story that we've been telling for thousands of years is still our story. And so he calls back to their most sacred story and he says, guys, we're still here. We're, we're still a people who are defined by, hope, by the hope that God is with us, that we are not abandoned by God. Um, in fact, let's go back to the part where Jesus walks on water. Because again, that's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole story all by itself. Um, not only is this supposed to be a reminder of the crossing of the Red Sea, there's another message that's embedded in that story. So the message, a message that would have felt deeply relevant to John's reader. So go back to uh, John chapter six, uh, verse 19. So in, if you go back to verse 19, where it says, um, sorry, says, "'When they had rowed about three or four miles, "'they saw Jesus approaching the boat, "'walking on the water, and they were frightened.'" So um, not, not only does Jesus say, uh, I'm sorry, I, I stopped before I was supposed to stop. So, so, and they were frightened. And then, um, then in verse 20 it says, but he, Jesus, said to them, I am, do not be afraid. So he says, I am, but he also says, don't be afraid. In the ancient world, there was this embedded fear of the sea. The sea was, th- there's a reason that these stories often involve the sea because the sea was seen as this unconquerable kind of thing. Personally, I don't like, well, we just got back from a beach trip. Um, I did not, I, 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 like, the the deepest I get into the ocean is about, like, the low end of my shins. I am afraid of sharks. I, um, I, like, the entire ocean is, to me, is a giant do not disturb sign, and I am trying to honor that as best I can. (laughs) I, um, I, I I fear the unknown, like, the idea of getting into an ocean where you can't see the bottom and you're, like, just treading water deeply terrifies me, um, Finding Nemo, notwithstanding, I've I've seen uh, I, like I've seen Jaws one too many times, and it's it, it it has put an adequate amount of fear in my heart. Mm-hmm. So, um, and maybe you're a person who swims in the ocean, and that's great. You're a skydiver, a bunch of like you you do all the things I'm afraid of. You like will wear a be- beard of bees or whatever what, whatever it is that like I, I see as illogical. Like you'll do with with reckless abandon. That's great, good for you. I won't do it. Um, I I don't get in the ocean. I have a healthy fear of the sea. And um, and and the thing is, like that calls back to my answer. I come from a long line of people who have been afraid of the ocean or afraid of the sea. Um, there, in the ancient world, there was an embedded fear of the sea, and I get this. I feel like it's it's a deeply logical thing, and because in lots of ancient in, in lots of ancient stories, the sea is associated with chaos and evil. And untamable, and even supernatural forces. The idea, the like, the, the belief was that there are monsters in the sea. That the sea is this unconquerable, un, uninhabitable space in the world. And so, the best you can do is fish from it and try and not die in it. And so, that was that was the that was the old like in the ancient world. That was the basic idea. And I again, I, I come from a long line. Uh, that that is one idea from the ancient world that I, I continue to sort of cling to on my own. Um, and so my kids don't necessarily feel the same way, but that's, you know, I have to, I have to live with it. You got to let them, you know what? You got to let them leave the, the nest a little bit sometimes, but not, not too far, but you know, just whatever. Uh, anyway, so it, you, you find examples of this all over the, the, the Hebrew scriptures. Take a look at Psalms uh, in the Psalms t- uh, chapter 29 In Psalm number 29 verses verse one it says ascribe to the Lord you heavenly beings ascribe to the Lord glory and strength ascribe to the Lord glory due to its name worship the Lord in in the splendor of his holiness so there's this like big language about like the power of God and then in verse three it says the voice of the Lord is over the waters the 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 God of glory um, thunders the Lord thunders over the mighty waters so what you have is this language of if if you have this system that believes that the waters, the seas, are this are the most dangerous, untamable, chaotic place in the universe, and you have a god who is over the waters, then that is that is meant to say something about the power of your god. Then look in verse. Uh, in, I'm sorry, in Psalm number 33, verse five, it says, um, "The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. The story hosts by the breath of his mouth." He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses, which again is a way of saying that this God has power over the thing that no, no one is believed to have any amount of power over. Then uh, let's look at one more in, in Psalm number 69, verse 13. In verse 13, it says, But I pray to you, Lord, in the, in the time of your favor, in, in your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire, do not let me sink. Deliver me f- from those who hate me from the deep waters. Do not let the flood waters engulf me, or the depth swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. So, over and over and over again, in ancient, and, and the Hebrew scriptures are not unique in this. If you, fi- you, you can go back and find ancient literature from all sorts of traditions that have lots of language about like, the depth of, and the fear of the waters, the seas. So, all over the, in the ancient world, you have language about the fear of the sea. So when these ancient poets want to talk about the power of God, they often use language that asserts that God has power over the waters of the earth. Why? Because the waters are the thing that everybody's the most afraid of. So Jesus, in, the story, in John chapter 6, walks on top of a raging sea, which would have been seen, which to, to us, and a lot of times when we tell this story to like children, this is like, it's, it's sort of like framed as a magic trick. Like, look, Jesus doesn't sink. Um, but but the, the point of the story isn't like Jesus does magic. The point of the story is this thing that everybody is always afraid of is a thing that Jesus has power over. So this would have been seen as an insistence that Jesus is more powerful than whatever they fear the most, which could have been the Roman Empire. It could have been starvation. It could have been alienation. It could have been any number of things. So this, this entire story is a way of saying to John's readers, we have been in chaos before. We have been through the worst, and God has always guided us through. This is a story that reminds you, yeah, we've been to the bottom, and we've been afraid, and we've been in the middle of a raging sea of chaos that is the Roman Empire, and we are still here, and Jesus is still in control. Look at John chapter 14. In John 14, Jesus says this in verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Uh, it's no secret that I'm a pretty anxious person. That's sort of like my brand. Um, I, uh, I, I know what it feels like to w- when the waters are rising. Um, I think right now is a great example of that. The fact that I had to send an email out yesterday sort of reassuring people that we're taking this, this season seriously, that your kids are safe um, in our classrooms, that, that we're going to do everything we can to keep you safe in this time. Um, that's a hard word to hear. I think, after the, the last year and a half that we've had, after the, the news of even the last week of rising cases. And um, it, 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 feel, it feels like the waters are rising, does it not? It feels like the waters have been rising and raging for a long time. It feels like we've been in the middle of a storm. And this story is this way of saying, like, yeah, we've been here before. There's nothing new about this story. And we we continue to be in in the story over and over and over again. Anytime we find ourselves afraid or sort of at odds with our surroundings, anytime we find ourselves in the middle of chaos, there's this story that reminds us, yeah, we've been here before. And Jesus continues to insist, "I, I am. And there's something larger than your anxiety, than your fear, which again, to me, is a hard word to hear. So a couple of things that we can sort of internalize, hopefully, in, and I, I, this is as much for me as it is for anybody else, but one is I think it's really important for us to name the storm. I think the storm is a metaphor. Um, as, as Jesus crosses the sea, um, for, uh, it, it's this, this, this reminder of, like, yeah, the storm can be the Roman Empire. The storm can be um, the destruction of the temple. The, str- the storm can be a virus that we have very little understanding and very little control over. The storm can be questions about what is it going to look like when we send our kids back to school. The storm can be, um, you know, w- w- we, like you, maybe you have somebody that you, that you care about who has tested positive and they're not doing great. And there's this, this real, like, n- like real anxiety about what that looks like, um, about how we, how we deal with that. So I think the first thing we're invited to do is name the storm um, and, and to remember, yeah, this is not new, that Jesus continues to insist, I am, and that there's something larger than the things that we fear. And that's not to minimize the things that we fear. I would never do that. Uh, That is to say that the story is bigger than those things. So the first thing that we're invited to do here is name the storm and to say, yeah, right now for me, the storm is this virus and um, my kids going back to school and maybe financial hardship as a result of the last year or so um a an uncertainty about like the future of your job your uh, whatever situation you're in um whatever that storm is i think jesus says yeah you can name that because i am on top of the raging sea and then the second thing i think to internalize is storms don't last forever um the, the season that you're in, the struggle, the, the fear, it's it feels like it's going to be forever. I know exactly what that feels like. It feels like it, n- it will never stop. The storms don't last forever. Even even though, it, again, it feels like it will, uh, the storm will subside. So um, I, th- I think the thing to internalize, we, we name the storm because it's, an, it's difficult to have any sort of power over a thing that we can't even name. And then... Um, we remember that the, this, this season, this, whatever it is that we're in, it, it doesn't last forever. So maybe you need some calm waters right now. So I want to invite everybody, if you're comfortable, uh, we're going to take a, a minute and we're going to kind of be silent in, in, in this moment. So I want to invite you to close your eyes. Nothing weird, just as a way of sort of centering ourselves. I want to invite you to take a deep breath in and hold it and let it go. Take another deep breath in and hold it and let it go. Keep doing that, just centering ourselves and remembering We can name the storm, and the storm doesn't last forever. And Jesus says, peace, I leave with you. I am. God, we thank you for this story and this reminder that we're still here. This reminder that storms don't last forever. May we name whatever storm it is that we're in, the thing that we fear the most right now. May we name that. May we see you walking along the top of it. May we hear your words as you remind us I am. Don't be afraid. I find this so incredibly difficult to internalize. So my prayer is that I might internalize it, that those of us here within the sound of my voice might also internalize it. May we remember that the storm won't last forever. May we remember that this is an old story. We've been here before. And that there is something larger than the storm, than the raging sea. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.